Hey everyone, I'm Diana Silva. And I'm Kate Galliford. Today on Retrospect, we spoke to Jessica Yu, an assistant opinions editor and columnist for the Fordham Observer, about her column called Privilege Check. In this week's episode, we talk about hillbillies, country singers, serial killers, TikTok trends, and what it means to be woke. Take a trip to the South with us and throw on those cowgirl boots, cowboy hats, and dance along to some Taylor Swift with us as we delve into this week's episode. And remember, this is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. Now we'd like to welcome on assistant opinions editor and columnist for the Fordham Observer, Jessica Yu. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for coming on. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Today, we just wanted to bring you on and talk about a column that Diane and I, or an article for your column, Privilege Check, and, uh, titled Mocking the South Does Not Make You a Better Liberal. We just thought it was a really interesting article, and we wanted to be able to kind of get more in depth about it with you. So to start off, uh, like we mentioned, you're a columnist for The Observer, and your column is called Privilege Check. If you just want to talk about kind of the aim or the goal of your column, maybe some other articles you've written, give us an overview of what your goal is with your column. Yeah, so um, back when I first saw this column, like last semester, the way I pitched it to the opinions editor was I wanted to focus on like queer and feminist issues, um, because I found myself writing a lot about those and also thinking a lot about those and that's definitely like a main aspect of my column and I recently changed the title of the column to privilege check just because I as much as I do want to write about queer and feminist issues there aren't any other columns right now that focus on that I also do want to like just sort of expand it a little more um, especially when like an article like this comes up I feel like it's just broad enough, but also it's like short and sweet, the title name. And the aim is really to just kind of think about, I guess like as college students living in New York, we are surrounded by so many people with a lot of really progressive views. And it's easy to get caught up in that and just like feel pressure to practice your progressiveness in a very like particular way, just kind of copying what everyone else around you is doing. But I think like it's really important to kind of pause and question things a little bit and like look at the nuances a bit. No, I really think that's interesting. I love your column because it, it kind of opens up and talks about these issues that not many people are, are comfortable talking about or openly like openly talk about like as they should be. And I really liked when you said that once people tend to kind of just follow groups and clicks and just lose themselves and not really express themselves. Um, and their thoughts and ideas as much as they'd want to, which is really interesting. And I really like that point. Your most recent article is broadly about like Northern or liberal or like disdain for aspects of Southern culture, including um, specifically country music. So why did you choose to focus at least this part in country music? I mean, like I said about, you know, following clicks, following patterns in terms of like politics and stuff. I mean, we all fall into that. And I'm not really fully faulting anyone. I'm saying like, it's a learning curve, right? Like for me as well, like, I don't know. 
I have this column, but like I'm learning every time I write something. I have to do research every time I write something. So this one's actually a little different just because I'm not from the South at all. I'm not American, but because of COVID, I ended up staying with my best friend in Texas for a total of seven months. And when I was there, like I kind of, you know, it was a very new experience for me. I never knew, I never expected to end up in Texas of all places. And my idea of Texas, like, oh, like, hillbillies and country stuff and like whatever but you know I I was in Houston it was a very large diverse city not at all what I expected and I think I learned a lot while I was there and this article is kind of really just stems from I mean for all my articles I take from like so many times I'll see something that really bothers me and my way of like dealing with that anger is I'm gonna write an article about it like that I'm going to vent about it uh, to the observer. Um, and this one stems a lot from my conversations with my best friend because she has always kind of been bothered by the way the South is portrayed, especially since like coming to the North for college. Surprisingly, like people will say like some really ignorant things to her and she's like, wait, 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 like that's not the case at all. And as we talk about it, like we kind of realized that like I said, like, I think there are some great country songs out there. I've never really understood why, at least to me, I think it's very obvious that people just have this extra disdain for country music. Like, I don't listen to heavy metal, but I'm not going to shame someone for listening to it. I'll think it's a little strange, but I won't, you know, I, I'll just drop it. I won't say too much. But people tend to have this really judge you extra hard for it. And I think it's like very much connected to the fact that people in the North, they practice a certain liberalism that is almost sheltered and coming from a very privileged place. And they don't necessarily like talk to a lot of people. And this is overgeneralizing, but it tends to be like you just talk to people who have the same views as you and you don't necessarily, I guess, branch out as much. And in terms of like, I think country music is just sort of like a starting point to kind of draw people in because it's something that like more people would like are likely to admit to. Like if I were to say like people hail Southern culture, they might not connect with that as much. And in terms of like country music, there's a lot to it. I did have to shorten this article. But one thing I was like, both my friend and I were thinking about was like, you know, you could say you don't like it for reasons that are like, it's sexist, it just talks about fear and women and stuff but like first of all that's not every single song and then you could also use the same argument for a lot of different types of music like rappers are incredibly misogynistic yet like it doesn't it's not put on the same scale I guess yeah no that made complete sense I feel like a joke people make a lot is that like country music is about like like women trucks and beer and that kind of thing but then I was thinking about it and like I'm also I'm not from the south um I'm from Connecticut and like my parents also, when I was growing up, like we listened to the Dixie, uh, Dixie Chicks who they now go by the Chicks. And like, that's very political music and it's not at all like what you would stereotypically think country music is about. And I think that actually country music is like a really great metaphor for how we kind of, people who live in the North or people who identify as liberal kind of look down on the South and like to overgeneralize it because I think that it makes a lot of sense to kind of be like, what is this, to, to question this tendency to overgeneralize and write country music off in general and like in the same way I think there's a tendency with northerners or people who are liberal to just write off the south in general and be like oh like they're rednecks or they're hillbillies but that's actually something that you talk about like kind of being rooted in classism and then also ignoring the existence of people of color in the south and like 
what their experiences are. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about that a little more. Yeah, I mean, you said a lot of things that like I could elaborate more on. For one, the Dixie Chicks, like the reason they kind of fell off was because they were political. And obviously, I don't know everything about that situation, but you know, I think that's something to consider as well as like maybe that does say something about like the audience of country music, but at the same time, like you can't really just say that everyone who listens to this country or everyone who listens who is from the South is a political or conservative because like I said in an article, there are so many communities of color and they experience really rapid rates, not rapid rates, but like really they experience a lot of voter suppression. And then so that has to be factored in to why these states end up turning red in big elections. And you have to consider like they are not provided with the same resources. At the same time, voter suppression isn't exclusive to the South at all. It's happening in New York City, like where we're living. It's happening in a lot of countries in the North. And recently, the we put out a staff ed about local politics in New York and like there I did some research and there are so many cases of voter uh, suppression in New York State as well. So it feels very scapegoating for people to kind of admit that the country has issues, but then say they're mostly because of the South. And it was just not true. And then like, it very much is pushing this narrative that like people overall, I hope that like we're, we're more aware now, but you know, there tends to be this pattern of saying like racism and slavery, which is just absolutely not true. Like there's literally modern day slavery, but you know, to say that it ended at the civil war is kind of like trying to get away guilt-free in my opinion. And this, it's not to say like everyone who listens to country or hates on country believes that, but I think it's just like something that is worth questioning. And in terms of the classes stuff, like Kate, you just said that you had the idea that like country music is about just like rural life and really relaxed and just like not much going on. And, you know, every single college student in New York these days talks about how they hate capitalism, which is very funny to me because we're living in one of the most capitalistic cities in the world. But I, I think it's very valid. And because like, I don't know, I spend a lot of time hearing people talk about that. I do have to question like what is wrong or why we have been conditioned to believe there's something wrong with like a more relaxed rural lifestyle. Well, like I'm definitely like a T Swift fan. Like that's my queen. I love Taylor Swift. And, but like I listen to other country artists and I just remember being young and just being in high school and every, cause I, I grew up in New Jersey and people just being like, oh, I hate country music. And being like, oh yeah, me too. Country music sucks. And then just kind of growing up and just realizing that no, you know, country music's good. I mean, not, not like over the, aspect of overgeneralization is just something that people tend to do whether it's consciously or unconsciously like people just do mm-hmm. it and it's just you, you know you grow out of these things and then I act like sometimes I play music in my car and I'll play like Hunter Hayes or I'll play like Carrie Underwood or I, like even Blake Shelton my friends are like what are you listening to and I'm like well it's a good song <laughs> and I like it so mm-hmm. I feel like at the end of the day whether like we are connecting this to like all the different ways racism shows up in this country, all the different ways classism shows up in this country. It's also just at the end of the day, like, well, let people like what they like. Seriously, just what is the point of, like, making fun of someone for listening to Blake Shout in their car? I was just going to say, I was really struck by what you just said, Jessica, about how, like, idea of, like, a cottagecore lifestyle is so popular with so many people. And, like, I think we all like to make jokes about it or, like, 
talk about how we really want that lifestyle and like I've definitely like said that before and then it's like like realistically I know I'm not up to that to like I I could never and it is so mm-hmm. interesting that like young people love to romanticize the idea of like going away into like a forest somewhere and like specifically living in a cottage baking beautiful things and like growing flowers and like really idealized idea of like a rural lifestyle but like it isn't at all I think connected to are like rooted in reality of like what it is like to work land or like live a lifestyle that is actually rural and like you're working on a farm or whatever and like what that actually takes from people and I think there's like a lot of derision for that lifestyle because it's associated with like I don't know maybe a lack of education or like manual labor we don't value as much or we think it's less important or like requires like it's less intellectual like it's manual versus intellectual and that kind of thing and it absolutely is like rooted in classism and then at the same time we'll turn around and be like oh but I want to live like in a cottage and just kind of shed my responsibilities to capitalism blah 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 like that was really really interesting to me when you said that yeah the college course thing is interesting I know a lot of people and it's it's becoming very trendy the college for aesthetic right I think it's really nice and sometimes I think like oh I'd like to run away to the mountains but just for a little bit but realistically like I know that's not for me I was raised in the city I was kind of built to be in very urban environments and as much as like I would like touches of nature in my life I don't think I could stand that and part of it like is obviously just needing to be productive and be as intellectual or perceived as intellectual as I can be honestly that's such a good point because like if you think about people's stereotypes and perceptions of a country lifestyle you know it's like tractors it's working with the land it's um working with animals but then you hear like um 20 year olds talking about like college is getting too much it's too stressful let me just go live in a cottage you're still talking about like working with the land, having your own farm animals, except one is in the mountains and one is down south. And I think college course is definitely a very romanticized aesthetic that like, I know some people who would definitely thrive in that environment, but I don't think a lot of us will actually take that leap at the end of the day. That's a good point. I really like that you brought up romanticization because that's like a big problem that like comes into into play when you talk about these things and just kind of just romanticizing different lifestyles and thinking, oh, that's for me, but it's more for the aesthetic rather than the actual way of living. I do think like that does speak to just how I think, I mean, this is all overgeneralization and I speak more for myself and the people I surround myself with, but I do notice a pattern where it's like we were brought up to be like, okay, high school, college work maybe grad school earn as much as you can STEM is going to make you more successful and more stable and smarter than um, anything in the arts blah, blah, blah. like all these like patterns and expectations of past and then like when we hopefully when you're in a liberal arts setting that helps you question that a little more and then you like realize also with zoom fatigue I know a lot of people are burnt out and just question like what are we doing this for so it's more just like not being very happy with your lifestyle not being very fulfilled with your lifestyle but not really knowing what to do about it because you feel very stuck in this like work cycle and then I guess the only solution is kind of escapism through aesthetic things (laughs) yeah yeah and I was just thinking like throughout this conversation I like I feel like that is one of the utmost forms of privilege like I'm thinking really specifically of like TikTok and like TikTok aesthetic trends and like fantasies and that kind of thing. Like then cottagecore really like bloomed there. And yeah, I mean, 
I think definitely a lot of people and young people, and definitely it's related to the pandemic, are feeling like burnout. And there's like kind of a general sense of dread of like being attached to some sort of corporate job and like a nine to five and always having to like work for the man or like whatever, not being your own boss and that kind of thing. And something I was also thinking about kind of to like bring it back to your original article was something I ended up thinking about by the end of your article was sort of, it reminded me of, this is like really taking things far back, but like the effort in the reconstruction era, like following the civil war in the South, like there is a real concerted effort kind of by the government and by like wealthy whites to basically convince poor rural white Americans and like formerly enslaved black Americans that they were each other's enemies because there was like a lot of danger in the idea of them having like political solidarity and kind of joining up together and recognizing like who is really like who is oppressing poor people and who is oppressing black people and I think that it's interesting that now like we're so comfortable to conflate like poorness with racism and then overlook I don't know like other forces and I think you're right like it's definitely a form of northern scapegoating where like maybe northern racism is more insidious or like more soft-spoken and it's easier to kind of see it be expressed overtly in the South, but as a way to kind of shift that blame off of us and like push it on to the South or push it on to low-income people in the South or people who live in rural areas and that kind of thing. Yeah, so definitely like all of that. And I think I think I mentioned this in the article where um, Northerners were back way back when, right? Both before, during, and during the Civil War, like Northerners was profiting off of the slaves. Also, Northerners were actually fighting for Black people. They were just, I don't know, like, you grew up thinking, like, oh, Abraham Lincoln was this, like, great dude, but really, he wanted to send everyone back to Africa. Like, it wasn't about acceptance and recognizing them them as, like, real American humans. So it feels very much like, okay, the South will do our dirty work, and then we won't appear as bad, and then it's a very weird, twisted mindset. And in terms of, like, what you said about solidarity, the pattern of like putting minority groups against each other all the time is getting so exhausting. Like for example, literally a couple weeks ago, there was, I don't know if you guys saw this, but like there was, there were so many headlines saying Black Lives Matter activists um, was charged with an anti-Asian hate crime. And obviously we're aware that, you know, there is anti-racism against Asians in the Black community, as well as there's racism against Black people in the Asian community. And I'm not trying to compare the two. I'm just saying they both exist. But why does every headline have to say BLM supporter was charged with an anti-Asian hate crime? Why can't you just say this man was committed a hate crime? And it feels very, like the word traits feel very intentional. Um, And whether that's them trying to get more clicks based off their headline, but you also have to wonder like, why does that get more clicks? Like, why do people, why are they so keen on watching minority groups fight each other? And the fact that, like, they would even want to see us butt heads is, like, also sick and twisted, incredibly just not at all admitting privilege. I was really interested in what you said on just kind of, like, writers just choosing their words carefully to get more, like, clicks, to get more views, to get more, like, readers to read their um their articles or whatever they're writing i think that's interesting i think it's a lot of this is kind of trends sadly people treat black lives matter or other like movements as as trends for a while and then they use that to their advantage to think that they're i don't know if it's the right word to say but like woke and it's just like the idea of being woke and the idea of thinking that like you know everything and that you're like knowledgeable about this and like like you said like you were writing these like these articles like for your column like 
you're educating yourself, you're learning as you're writing, you're researching, you're putting in the time. And I think most people just don't do that, but they like to think that they are. And I think that's also part of the conflict that adds on to this, that you're just assuming that you're like all knowledgeable. And if anyone argues against you, they're like, oh, you're not woke enough and I'm woke and you're not. And I think there's just that constant struggle between what is considered being woke and what is not. Yeah, I think something I've been thinking about a lot recently, and one part of what you said is like, I honestly think it can be a privilege in itself to feel like you can speak for issues and fight for issues without fully educating yourself and knowing people aren't going to question you that much, or if they do, there aren't going to be that many consequences for you. For me, there are certain issues that like with certain identities that are part of my identity, it feels like if I'm not educated in that and if I and I am lucky too that I surround myself with people who are very progressive but I still doubt like if I'm not educated enough and I speak for myself and I do get questions that's not them just questioning my views it's questioning like my validity as a minority my validity as a person so I almost can't really like sometimes afford to speak before I know the facts um just in case something like that happens and then in terms of like education like I I don't consider myself incredibly educated on all these issues and at the same time like okay so recently I interviewed this artist for one of my classes in which we're like I don't know if you guys know like it's a cure class that you created digital magazine and I did an interview with an artist I've been talking about this interview like so so much and like every other conversation it comes up because she said so many insightful things that have literally like stuck with me and so basically she's from Jerusalem and she is an anti-Zionist and she's an activist for that she literally grew up in Jerusalem like she was surrounded by she was in the army she knew of these issues she saw them firsthand but then when she moved to New York she was like I actually needed to take about four or five years to fully like really read about these issues question them before I started speaking about them publicly and you know that's a that's a long time compared to like when last year when the I'm not saying I'm not faulting anyone for what they did or didn't do because we were all learning too as things were happening but thinking back like you know we all sort of at least a lot of people I know um kind of took on issues that were completely new within like a few weeks and obviously like when you know something is wrong like speak up for that when you know you can help help for that but it takes time to really call yourself an activist and I don't I don't call myself an activist but like I think a lot of times people are like putting that face out there and then at the same time there there are a lot of issues in this world to tackle and social media is trying to tackle all of them at the same time and they want every single person to tackle all of them at the same time but even people who have like dedicated their lives to being an activist they focus on one issue like that takes enough effort and education and time and like yeah all the dedication like you it's very unrealistic to say like hey you have to fight for the environment you have to fight for every single race group you have to fight for all the hunger and poverty in the world um at the same time and that's just too much to so yeah the pressure is definitely like at least something I've I think is relatively new in my own life yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, so I'm cognizant that we're kind of at, you know, at time here. So this was fantastic. I'm really thrilled with like all the different topics we managed to cover. Um, just kind of using our articles as a jumping off point. I really enjoyed this conversation. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It, it was really fantastic to talk to you. Thank you. This was so much fun. 
This has been Retrospect. Thanks again to Jessica for coming on. If you all enjoyed hearing from her as much as we did, please be sure to check out other pieces from her column Privilege Check on FordhamObserver.com. Although today's episode was the season five finale, we will be back very soon in June to start our three-episode summer coverage. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for sticking with us this season. We love bringing you new and interesting content every week, and we really can't wait to be back later this summer. Until then, I'm Kate Galliford. And I'm Diana Silva. Stay safe, and in the meantime, why not give country music another chance?